Hi, and welcome to Season 5 of Business Book Talk. Hope you're going to enjoy this new season. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure you will really enjoy some of the books that we have planned. So let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. Bob here again. I've got People Tools 54 Strategies for Building Relationships, Creating Joy, and Embracing Prosperity. I've got Alan C. Fox on the line again. Alan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, Bob, my pleasure. It's uh, always a treat to uh, to talk to you. Now, here you've been really busy doing all sorts of uh, promotion, being on all, all sorts of other people's shows. I'm just wondering, do you prefer TV over uh, voice? <laughs> a good question. I think voice, uh, you can accomplish more on TV. Uh, you have to be very, very brief. I think both uh, have their place. I uh, I really like uh, talk shows, though, because that way, you know, you can cover more territory. Yeah. Get more you- personal. And you, you're a great talker, and you can meander a little bit. Where on, on TV they get all uptight. Like, no, we need those sound bites. We just got so much, so little time, so little time. That's for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> now you know I, I've talked to you about your other book, uh, People Tools for Business: Fifty Strategies for Building Success, Creating Wealth, and Finding Happiness. What's the difference between these books, or is it basically a very similar book and but more personal? Yeah, I would say so, Bob. Um, I, I don't see too much difference between business and real life. And, uh, you, you know, it used to be uh, you, you, you're more real in, in, in real life. I think you should be real in business. And um, I use examples, uh, business examples, much more in People Tools for Business. But mm-hmm. the original book, People Tools, um, has, has a lot of good stuff. I, I wrote that over a period of about 20 years. And, um, you know, finally published uh, 2014, and just I, I really love the first book. Hmm. Now, you know, it's one of the things I ask a lot of the authors is when you when you decide, okay, I'm going to write the book, and then when it from that point to when it actually hit the shelves, how long was that? Can you? Well, I decided to finish the book. I finished it in 2013, and uh, we got a publisher. I think it was April of. Uh, 2013, and we published it. It came out in January 2014, so you know, close close to a year. As uh, I didn't realize this, Bob, but boy, getting a book out just mechanically, just just getting it printed, getting it distributed, having advanced reading copies for review purposes. Um, it's it's a very very technical process. It sure is, and and I think a lot of people go in, especially this day where where everybody can publish book relatively easily um, themselves. When dealing with a publisher, it's a slightly different thing because you know you've brought your manuscript in, you've you've shown it, they like it, and then they say, "Great, now we can start working on it." You go like, "What? I thought it was finished." <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you know they say. I mean, the book is probably never finished. At some point, you just have to release it. Uh, every, every time I go through something, uh, including when I read my, my the original book, People Tools, um, I normally see something, a word I'd like to change. But you know, basically, you have to get it out there. Mm, yeah. Now, you know that that's interesting. You know, I, I was chatting with somebody the other day about perfectionism and how it's it's. You want people to perform. You want people to uh, do well and and do their best. But there's got to be a point where you say, you know what, this is as good as it's going to get. Let's move on, and not worry about perfection because there's no such thing in this world. Oh, I, I totally agree. When I started in business, I wanted, I, you know, I wanted everything to be perfect, and I thought about it a lot. In fact, I have a tool: get past perfect. Ah. And in uh, in people tools, so you 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 hit a nerve with me right there. 
And I decided when I went to business that I'd be a failed perfectionist because I, I, I aim for perfection. I just want always to be perfect. But at some point, you got to settle. I mean, how many how many times can you redo work and probably not get it perfect anyway? And also the stress, the tension, the the, the worry. I, I you know I actually in my business used to not send things out because I was worried that they weren't perfect, and so people would complain that they didn't get the information. <laughs> so you know you're kind of darned if you do and darned if you don't sometimes. So I, I say get past perfect, and if you want to aim for it, that's great. I always think you should do your best. Uh, if you're on a desert island all by yourself, do your best. It's really feels good and it's good practice, but you don't you don't have to be perfect. Mm. And I find a lot of times when you, you when you're working with a collaborative project where you've got like a team involved, I think one of the best strategies is is to just get going and say, "I'm going to rough it together. I'm going to give it to you guys, and then you guys can." Tell me where we went wrong. That way, at least everybody is going the the right direction. I totally agree. And uh, when I started out in business uh, almost fifty years ago, you know, I was a young buck, and I thought I could do everything better than anybody else. I'll tell you what I the biggest thing I found it's a team. Life is a team effort. Mm. You need other people to help you. So you know that's that's why for people tools. Uh, if you only have one skill in life, I think getting along well with other people is the one to have. Mm. And that's that's my first book. Now, if you can have a second skill, getting along well and doing well with money is not bad either. <laughs> but uh, you want to get along well with people. Okay. Now, for, for, and for people that are good at it, it seems so natural. But for people that have a hard time getting along with people, and there's two types of getting along with people. There's, there's getting along being nice, but then there's getting along in a way where everybody's kind of having fun. And that those are two totally separate things. So for the advanced people that are good at getting along with people, they can always improve by making their relationships smoother and better. Uh, and for people that are struggling with it, there are some baby steps that they can take. So I'd love to touch on those two points. Absolutely. I totally agree with you. And I, I was not a natural boy. I was in high school, college. I was pretty obnoxious. People, people didn't like me when I went into business. Um, you talk about being perfect. I, I never acknowledged a mistake and people who worked for me didn't like that. And they tried to hide their mistakes and I didn't allow other people to, to give their ideas and to participate. Because also, you know, when other people participate, then they have an investment in making the idea work. And, uh, and they also feel valued. And I think listening to and valuing other people who do have very, you know, really excellent uh, contributions to make, I think that is so important in life and, and also in business. And as you said, you know, building a team, uh, very, very important. So, you know, I remember my mom telling me once, many, many, many years ago, Bob, if you want somebody like you, ask them for your help. Ask them a question on how, even if you know what the answer is, doesn't matter. Get them involved in helping you. They'll like you much faster. I think that's very, very good advice because then they count. You, you value them, and, and we all want to help out. We want to have some control over our lives, and I think that's very, very good advice, hmm. definitely. Now, um, you know, I had an interesting uh, interview with a guy a couple of days ago about a, uh, a strategy for, for saving time. And it basically it boiled down to having a plan and then executing the plan. And, uh, you know, you, you're a pretty busy guy. How do you save time in your day? Well, 
in a business context, I have to delegate. Mm. And in my second book, I had a, a, a tool, you know, give it away, meaning, you know, give, give the work away, have somebody else to do it. In my personal life, I think the most important thing is to get along with other people. You have to know, you have to know them. And very often there's a difference between what people say and what they do. Oh, you know, I'll meet you for lunch at noon, and I show up at noon, and they don't get there until 12.15, 12.30. So one of the very first tools uh, that I developed in people tools is, is called Patterns Persist. When you identify a pattern with somebody and assume it will continue, like for me, if I go to a buffet restaurant, I always eat too much. I mean, that's my pattern. So I either don't go. Or I tell my wife, hey, go up there, here's what I want, give me one plate, no seconds, no desserts, and we'll do it that way. So when you have a pattern, like as I was saying, if someone's late for lunch, uh, I have one friend who's always late, so I have him come to my office so that if he's a half hour late, I can still work and uh, I don't care so I'm sitting in a restaurant. So watch for patterns in yourself and other people. Assume they will continue. If you like the patterns, that's great. If you don't like the patterns, then try to try to change it. Or if it's in somebody else, then um, uh, avoid interacting with them on the, in areas of the pattern you don't care for. Mm. Now, do you have any favorite sections in the book? And I know that's a, a slightly unfair question because, gosh, you've got uh, what is like fifty-four different uh, quotes. And and just for a listening audience, it, your books are great because they're they're short two, three, four pages max uh, chapters, and they just get to the point. But out of all your your you know, 54 uh, qu- quotes or, or I would say nuggets of knowledge in this book, do you have a favorite? Well, one of my very favorites uh, is a chapter titled uh, Buy a Ticket. And you're right. I think it's a two-page chapter. And in it, I, I, actually, it's based upon a kind of a joke uh, that Joseph goes to the mountain uh, three weeks in a row, and he prays to the Lord for for winning a lottery ticket, uh, and you know, and he's out of work, and his kids are sick, and all that, all the problems. And finally, the third week, there's thunder and lightning, and a voice from on high says, uh, in response to uh, Joseph's plea to, to win the lottery, he says, "Joseph, meet me halfway. <laughs> Buy a ticket." And, you know, so so much in life, we, we want things to happen, but we don't put an investment of our own time and effort into it. Mm. And if, 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 if you're a victim, if you think you don't have control over anything, then you're probably right, because that's the way you look at it. So I say, look at your life differently and put energy into it and into making things happen that you want to happen. You won't always win, but you have a, a heck of a lot better chance when you when you work at it. Hmm. Now you got one here that I really like. Um, if you can't keep a secret, don't tell anyone, especially your personal trainer. Now there must be a story behind that one. <laughs> yes, there is. Um, and the oath involves if you if you want a secret, basically don't tell anybody. And one day, uh, I was going to take my wife to uh, tell you ride for our twenty fifth for our wedding anniversary. And it was a secret. And I told my personal trainer, then one day he's at my house, and my wife's walking by, and he says to her, well, I hope you enjoy the trip to Telluride. Oh. I looked at him, I said, come on. <laughs> remember? He didn't remember the part that it was a secret. So <laughs> the secret was out of the bag. Actually, I arranged some activities, which I didn't tell him about, so he couldn't tell her. 
But, um, you know, if you tell anybody else, well, then it's like Pandora's box. Once it's out, it's out. So if you want something private, keep it private. Yeah. And if you want some, if actually, if you want something to, to uh, percolate through an organization, the best thing to do is say, this is a secret. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> that is so right. Uh, I used to have a business partner. And he was a total blabbermouth, so I did exactly that. If I want everybody in the office to know something, I would tell him, and I would tell him it was a secret. And within 10 minutes, everybody knew. <laughs> now, um, you've got this other one called uh, Tip the Messenger. And uh, yep. that's that's kind of putting on the head the other one, which is kind of negative, which is don't kill the messenger. Yep, exactly. You know... None of us like bad news, mm. and we're going to get bad news from time to time. And if you kill the messenger, in other words, if you really blame the messenger for the bad news, guess what? That messenger is not going to want to give you news in the future. And I, you know, especially in all parts of my life, I value the, the news, good or bad. If it's bad news, maybe it's something I can do something about and change it. So I always thank people for giving me information, always. And I tell them I appreciate it. And that way they're encouraged to give me information, and, and that's what I want. I, you know, I don't want to terrorize my doctor and have him kind of sugarcoat something or not give me uh, an analysis of a, of a blood test or another report. I, I, I want to know so I can do something about it. So I say tip the messenger, and by tip I mean, you know, just, just tell me appreciate the information. Yeah, it's, you know, that's really interesting because I have an amazing relationship with my doctor and it's all about us sitting down chatting. He likes hiking. I like hiking. So we have we have something to pivot on. But really, at the end of the day, he knows what I want and he doesn't sugarcoat anything. And when I leave the office, I feel, I feel really that I've, I've progressed. I, I have a plan. I have a goal. And uh, because of that, I think I'm a lot healthier. Exactly. Exactly. Because you have the information you need. And, Bob, that's exactly the right thing, to have a good relationship so that you don't have to worry about, uh, about things being hidden from you. Absolutely. So what do you think the secret is to building a great relationship with somebody? I think the, the secret is paying attention. In other words, in people tools, a number of tools are like that. To pay attention to the other person. Uh, you know, don't don't talk on your cell phone and try to have a conversation at the same time. You know, all too often with electronics, I was with four people at uh, at lunch the other day, and all of a sudden, all four of us are talking on our cell phones. Um, well, we had relationships, so I guess that's okay. But really, pay attention and and care about other people. Uh, when I was a teenager, I, I was really obsessed with how do I get a girl to love me, and I read books and magazines and did research. I finally found one sentence in one book. It said, if you want someone to love you, love them first. So I say, you know, be open, uh, be positive. And, uh, in fact, I'm writing a blog. Uh, you know, I have a blog at uh, peopletoolsbook.com. And tomorrow I'm writing a blog on, on how to make a good first impression. And mostly it's being positive and really listening to the other person. You know, th- that is you know, I, I was talking to this guy the other day, and he said, oh, I hate small talk. And he said, oh, I hate small talk, too. And he says, that's why I don't do networking meetings. And and this is, like, critical for not only business but life. If you don't go out there, you don't meet new people, you don't go hiking with people, and then talk to those people. You can't just go hiking, ignore everybody, and, and leave the event. That just puts people's nose out of joint. And he didn't understand how to start a conversation. And I said, just listen. 
with that in mind, what would you say to people that are listening to this show? What is the best tip you can give for starting a great conversation? Good, good, good question. Uh, and the way I do it is I try to notice something positive about the other person. Mm. And, if, you know, I don't like superficial conversation either. But the problem is this. You can't start with with the deep stuff. Uh, you know, I, uh, I syndicate uh, commercial real estate, meaning I talk to people who want to invest. Well, I'm not going to start out by, you know, asking them, quizzing them about their financial status and what they want to invest. Mm. We're going to get to know each other first. So I say, you know, I'm glad you, you came in to see me. And, um, you know, do you want me to go first and talk with me, or do you want to talk about yourself and uh, let me know what, 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 what you like? And it's just by, by you, you have to start somewhere. And, you know, it's almost a really cliche to talk about the weather, and I think that something maybe wouldn't be a good idea, but you, you just talk about yourself and, 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 and be willing to go first. Be willing to share something about yourself first. Because that makes it safer for the other person to share about themselves. You know, I, I, I like to know people's secrets, and I realized a long time ago that, you know, if, 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 if I look at you, uh, Bob, like through a one-way mirror, and you, I expect you to expose yourself, and I'm not going to show you anything about me, that just doesn't work very well. Mm. But if I'm going first, then it uh, works a lot better. Yep. Well, you know, you said something there very, very interesting. Is basically you were giving people permission. And I think a lot of times in social situations, you you have to actually help people by saying, it's like, hey, you know, I'll, I'll go first, and then you can go. So they especially if they're new at it, so they know what to do, and then they can relax and get into the flow. Once they've started to talk, it's much easier for the both of you to be backing back, bashing back and forth. Absolutely. And, um, well, it's like like this interview. You know, you, you let me know what you want, what you're interested in, and share some of your, your own information, and like, like with your doctor, the relationship you have with your doctor. And that helps me. And it makes me more relaxed in sharing similar information with you. Mm-hmm. For, you know, kids, I have got two teenage girls, and they're at the phase where they know everything. And apparently when I'm 22, suddenly I'll become intelligent again. Uh, yeah, right. Have you uh, found a, a, a secret to talking with teenagers? Yes, absolutely. Ah, um, and I've, I've, I've raised a total of nine children, and the youngest now is 26, so, you know, I know something about it. <laughs> and, and teenagers can be difficult, but you know, their job as teenagers is to become individuals and kind of break away from the family some. So what I do is I, I give them as much uh, openness as I can. I, I am absolutely a, a, a nut about driving, you know, drive impaired. Um, and as I tell kids, uh, if you don't listen in class for, for half an hour, so you don't get quite as good a grade, if you don't pay attention for five minutes while you're driving, you can be dead or, or seriously hurt. So I think that also with kids, one thing is very, very important, and psychology uh, and all the studies show this, and I didn't believe it until I was probably in my mid-20s or 30s, and that is catch them being good. In other words, when a kid does something you like, praise the heck out of them. So that's terrific. I really appreciate that. What we're prone to do, what we do a lot of, is we criticize them. No, you did that wrong. No, you made a mistake. Have you done your homework? And just, just keep after them that way. But if, psychologically, if you ignore 
behavior you don't like, it's not likely to be repeated. If you give attention to it, and that's why some kids act out, because if they don't get your attention for doing something good, you know, for getting a B or, or an A on the test, if they don't get your attention for that, then they're going to act out, and when they get a D or an F, they sure as heck are going to get your attention. So I say catch them being good, and uh, you'd be amazed that uh, after a while kids starting want the praise, and, and I think we all want praise. You know, I think that's so true, and especially for like parents that are working. Uh, you know, if you're if you're the 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 dad and you're always at work, or you're the mother, a professional mother, and you're always at work, giving your little bit of inf- of of attention and praise is so valuable because you're basically you're not around that much, and the child really really needs that. Absolutely, and especially when you don't see your kids or somebody else too often, especially then, the limited amount of time you have together really really is magnified and it counts a lot. So make it pleasant uh, mm. to the extent you possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think people, uh, I mean, I, this, is, this is kind of a, a funny question because your book is obviously meant for people to jump around in. Is it a different book if you read it cover to cover, or it, does it have a, uh, you know, because when they edited it, did the editor try and put some sort of flow into it or sections so it would be similar type topics and groupings, or is it just all over the place? That's, that's a wonderful question, and I talked to the publisher about that, and they said, gee, you know, can we can we have like three overall areas and put the chapters into one of those three or four areas? And both the editor and I looked at it very, very hard, and, 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 and we couldn't do it because it's really individual techniques and skills. And uh, it's, it's skills of getting along with people, just like skills of, of batting a baseball. And uh, so you can start in the middle. You can read any chapter you like. Uh, some people told me that they sat down to, to read a few chapters and ended up two hours later finished with the book because it's a pretty quick read. Um, but no, I, I, I really tried, but I can't, uh, I can't put it into categories. Uh, and every, every people tool, every chapter is, as you said, it's short and, uh, and it's a lot of fun. Mm. Now, and, and your front section, you've got a Ford, you've got an introduction. The Ford, uh, is by Craig Fox. And I would assume that is somebody close to you. Yes. <laughs> on, on each of my first two books, uh, People Tools and People Tools for Business. Uh, one of my children, Craig, is a professor at UCLA uh, uh, School of Business. And, uh, and and I asked him to write the forward. He said he'd be happy to, but then he's a professor. He read the whole book. He, he edited it for me. <laughs> he gave me a lot of suggestions. But uh, I, I appreciate that because he's very thorough and, and very, very uh, competent. So that was cool. In the second book, uh, my daughter, uh, who's an attorney, um, wrote wrote the forward. And um, it was nice to keep in the family. It's nice to have approval of your kids. Like, you know, kids want our approval. Well, you know, I want theirs too. Mm. Well, you know, you're you're pretty lucky in that sense that that you have a great relationship with your kids, and uh, you've reached out and you've you've made them part of your life. What's a what's a a piece of advice you could give our listeners that um, want to connect with their kids more? Um, I think listen. And recognize, you know, the big problem is this, Bob. You meet your kids when what? When they're when they're when they're infants, when they're just born. So you think of them as needing help, as as helpless. 
And that's right. But, uh, you know, then they're two years old and they want to assert themselves by saying no. And then they're five and they're going to school and that can be scary for them. So I think that you have to deal with your children based upon their age. And teenagers have different needs. Young adults have different needs. Uh, for my adult children, for example, I just don't interfere in their lives. I don't make suggestions on how they should raise their children. If I'm asked, I'm happy to be there. But my father had that idea. He said, Alan, you know, now you're 21. I'm going to treat you like an adult. I hope we'll be friends, but I'm not, not going to act like your father. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, that worked really well. And my dad is now actually 100 years old, mm-hmm. and, and we get along really, really well. So I think you have to deal with your children based upon their age and experience and, uh, and let, them, let them figure things out. And when a kid asks me, uh, Dad, uh, how do you spell whatever? I say, okay, glad you asked. Uh, what letter do you think it starts with? And I help them to figure it out for themselves. So I'm on their side. I think, I think kids above all want to know that you as a parent are on their side. Yeah, it's, it's like being a parent as being a rock, trying to be consistent and not all over the place, uh, being different every day is very, very confusing for a child. They need to see patterns. I totally, totally agree. Consistency and, and providing some structure, um, you know, whether it's bedtime or finishing homework or how much you can watch TV or how much you can, you know, play games on the, on the, uh, on the internet. Um, it's very important for adults to, uh, to provide structure. Mm. Now for, for our older audience, um, that, uh, want to better their lives and uh, be happier and I, you know and I, I I hate to use the word prosperity even though you use it on your, on your cover because a lot of people say oh prosperity is making money is becoming rich and I don't think that's true can you define prosperity for us well you know I, I really believe strongly in all my writing that centered on the idea that you've only got today make the most of it and Feeling, feeling. I, I know, I know a lot of very wealthy people, and uh, some of them are very happy, and many of them are are not. And they thought that all they needed to do was grow up and get a lot of money, and then they'd be happy. Well, I'll tell you, Bob, it doesn't necessarily work that way. So I think you have to focus on what you enjoy doing, and uh, and hopefully do that, uh, do that in business, do that for a living, and really do mostly what you enjoy in life and, and, and whether that's, you know, going hiking or playing a sport or reading books, whatever you really enjoy, do as much of that as you possibly can and, uh, and, and, and have your own standards. I mean, you know, there's certain foods I love and my wife won't eat. Well, that's fine. I, we eat what we want and that's what we love. So in your life, pick those activities, which, which you really, really like. Mm. You know, it's it, um, you, you say embracing prosperity, and and I think that's that's a marvelous way of looking at it, it, it because a lot of people have this guilt complex with with success, or they use that as a way to not have success in their lives. Like, well, you know, I don't want to be this way. Oh, I don't want to be that way. Um, but I love that you're saying embrace it, it's, make it part of your life, and and move toward. It. And when it happens. Don't be weird about it. Just continue on the way you are. It, it's by, and one of the things I ask a lot of writers is, do people look at you differently now that you've written a book? And they all say, yes, isn't it weird? And I say, yeah, well, it, it's, 
in their eyes, you're a different person, but that's really not the way the world yeah. works. They haven't, they just see yeah. you in a different light. Yeah. Yeah. When, when I'm, when I'm saying on embrace prosperity is when good things happen, enjoy it. Some people think, well, gee, if I enjoy it too much today, then it'll be taken away from me for some reason. Mm. I don't think so. I think when you get in the habit of enjoying good things, including prosperity, financial prosperity, prosperity in relationships, when you get used to appreciating it, that gives room in your life for, for, for more of it. And if you kind of shy away, then you're, you're, you're really not going to have as much and you're not going to enjoy what you have uh, as much. So I totally agree. Yeah, it, you know, you, you, you put a really good point there is uh, rewarding yourself. And I don't think enough people reward themselves these days. Yes. Yes, I agree. I think that's something that's very, uh, very important. Now, so let's touch on that a little bit deeper. Um, how do you reward yourself in a way that is conscious? Well, I, I reward myself just by telling myself, gee, good job. Mm. And I also like to have, um, I talk about self-fulfilling prophecies, you know, what you predict, I was sitting at my desk uh, b- before uh, Thanksgiving uh, week uh, last year, and uh, I was going to go away for the whole week. I had to finish a project. I came in at 9 in the morning, and then I was sitting at my desk at 10 at night. I wasn't finished, and I started saying to myself, uh, hey, Alan, you're going to get too tired. You won't be able to do this. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not tired now, so why should I give myself these negative ideas? So I'm just going to give myself the idea that I can do it, and if I do get too tired, I'll deal with them. And you know something, Bob? I, I worked for another three hours, so I finished my projects at one in the morning. I wasn't even tired then. So I think giving yourself a reward and telling yourself you did a good job. We all want other people to uh, to to praise us. Well, praise yourself. You know, you're with yourself a lot more than you're with anybody else. And also uh, make uh, make positive, self-fulfilling prophecies. Mm. Do you think the, 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 the phrase, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, is uh, still true today? Well, I, uh, you know, my first, one of my first assistants when I was practicing law did exactly that. In other words, uh, her husband was away in the Army, and when he gets back, life will be good. And then he got back, and, well, when we have a baby, life will be good. And then, you know, didn't seem to get much better. And then they moved to another city. Well, when we move to another city, life will be good you're always postponing. And is the grass greener in another field? Well, if it is, then go to the other field. Um, I had a woman who worked for me for about uh, six, seven years, and she wanted to be in the entertainment field, and I encouraged her to do that. She went out, she got a job in the entertainment field, and after a year, Bob, she called me up, she said, can I have my old job back? I, I really don't like this very much. I said, great. So she went to the other field and found out the grass wasn't greener. It's always so easy to look at somebody else's life and say, oh, they've got it made. Their life is just wonderful every minute of every day, and mine isn't. Well, I think if you look at it carefully, we're all pretty much the same. We have some, some good times, and we have some not-so-good times. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, whenever I think the grass is greener, I'm going to try to go to that other field. But I really, you got to know, it, you know, I, I must say, I have a, a, one tool, because with people, okay, you're, you're married, you, you, you have a, a, a girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, and how do you know 
that the grass isn't greener, that there's somebody else who might be a lot better. And I say that if a person in my life meets 80% of my version of ideal, if my wife is, is 85% of what I think is ideal, plenty good enough. I'm not looking any further. At some point, instead of saying the grass is greener, you really have to say, hey, the grass in my field is pretty darn good. You know, you you hit upon a, a real big truism in reality in life is there is no such thing as the ideal person. There's no such thing as the ideal a city. There's no such thing as an, an ideal job. And, you know, I traveled around a lot and been lucky enough to be in many, many countries. And people said, what was, what was the best city you've been, ever been in? I said, well, you know, Bangkok was great, but it had too much pollution. And Vancouver is wonderful, but the economy is a little slow. And London, England is amazing, but it was a little pricey. And there, there's a yin and a yang for every city. So you just have to decide that you're going to go live in the city and you got to take the uh, the bad with the good. Absolutely. Absolutely. I live in Los Angeles and the weather generally is great. Um, but traffic, you know, I mean, in rush hour, traffic is absolutely horrible. And uh, what I try to do is uh, either not drive around in, in rush hour if I can avoid it. Or maybe I can do some business calls or talk to my family or friends on my cell phone when I'm driving, um, hands-free, of course. Uh, and uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Look for the positives, and uh, because you can find positives wherever you are. And uh, you can also find negatives. I, I prefer to, to be happy and uh, just do the positives. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, that's very true. But you also have to be aware. You can't be naive and say there are no negatives. You've got to say, look, I live in the city. And like you said, that there's terrible traffic problems. You've got to drive everywhere. But I, I know I can fix that or I can utilize my time more efficiently being conscious of it. I think a lot of people go into situations like this, almost like the grass is greener mentality. It's like, I'm going to go to this job. It's going to be amazing. And because because they don't realize that, sure, it's going to be amazing, but it's also going to be some tough days, too. When they hit the tough days, they say, what? Oh, I don't like this job anymore, and they go into a negative cycle. Well, that's true. And also, you know, every every day, I don't think I've had a perfect day in my life where everything went <laughs> absolutely the way I absolutely wanted it to. Mm. So you have to accept that, and, uh, and, and I agree. Uh, the things like the traffic in L.A., work around it, or relax and and go with it because you know fighting something that you're not going to win um just uses a lot of energy and makes you unhappy so i say you know pick your battles oh there if 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 not one of the most important pieces of advice is pick your battles and so many people don't get that in such a fundamental way it doesn't have to be a big battle but definitely and maybe the battle is the wrong word maybe that people think it's too aggressive but for me it's like decide what you're going to do and then move towards it and then if it looks like it's going to be a lot of work and and it's not going to work out for you make a decision sooner than later yes absolutely well you know that's another tool I have, which I think is very important. It's called the sunk cost theory. And that, that comes from business, but I use it in life. And in business, if you just you know, paid a million dollars, you put it in a manufacturing machine, and it's just started today, but something else comes along better that's a lot more profitable, what you paid for your existing machine is not relevant. We're looking to the future. So, for example, in life, let's suppose you, you go to a movie. You, you drove there, you park, you pay for admission, you're sitting there. 
And after 15, 20 minutes, you just say, this is, I don't like this movie. <laughs> well, many, many people will sit there for another hour, hour and a half and see the movie to its end. I don't do that. If I, if I don't like it, I say, well, I put in some money, I put in my time, but I'm not going to invest any more time in this because it isn't working for me. Mm. So along with what you were saying, you have to evaluate the, the cost to you of doing things and, uh, and whether or not changing something is worth it. And um, for me, you know, being bored is really one of the worst things, and I'm seldom bored, but if I am, I do something about it. Mm. Well, you know, for me, if boredom is something that's uh, very hard to grasp, and, and uh, when I go on a vacation, one of the big things I'm trying to do is get out of my work headspace, and, and my goal is boredom, which is kind of a sad thing to have. But it, <laughs> for me, if I come back from a vacation, man, I got nothing done, which was the goal. So I did get something done. So, But it's so hard. Well, I, would look at, I would look at that a little bit differently. I think, I think your goal is variety. In other words, mm. you know, you're focused at work, you're focused and you're doing stuff and you're accomplishing. And so on a vacation, you might just want to, you know, sit on the beach or you know, watch watch the pine tree or something. Mm. So I, I I wouldn't say that that's seeking boredom is rather seeking um, uh, seeking relaxation. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's well, a change is as good as a rest. They say so. You don't necessarily yeah. have to go to Hawaii to have a vacation. You can do something quite close to home as long as it's radically different than what you do every day. Yes. Absolutely, and many people are doing that. I have a friend who just had uh, what they call a staycation, <laughs> meaning they, they stayed at home, but they did different things and you know, put the cell phone aside and went to the beach and uh, did different things uh, that they don't usually do, even though they, as you said, they didn't uh, have to go to Hawaii to do that. Mm. Well, and, you know, that brings up a thing I brought up with many people is, you know, I, I love Vancouver and, and there's so many great things. You can go hiking and great foods and restaurants in the city. And I run into people that are bored. I said, guys, do you realize that people spend thousands and thousands of dollars and hundreds of hours of their life saving money to come here and do stuff? Why can't you do and enjoy stuff in the city? Why do you have to go to Seattle and, and to get into that mode of thinking or go to LA to get in that mode of thinking or go to Hawaii to get into vacation mode. It's crazy. I, I, I agree. When people do that, I, I always think of there's a line from Shakespeare, uh, which goes something like, the, the problem, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings, meaning the problem is not in your environment. The, 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 the boredom is not, I mean, you can, you can be that very, oh, Vancouver's a wonderful city. You can be very happy there. And uh, it's in you. And it's in what you tell yourself and what you go out and make happen. So you can be very happy uh, living just about anywhere. You know, you seem to be a guy that's busy all the time. You're always having fun. Are you constantly making yourself um, projects to keep yourself, you know, and, and not work projects, but life projects? Or do you just let things happen and, and you get involved with them as they drop in your lap? I, I have a lot going on because... Uh, you know, I like to complete things in, in my business, uh, real estate, and when I was practicing law, it took a long time for any one project to come to, uh, to completion. So I just keep, uh, as I say, a lot of balls in the air, and, uh, you know, I, I, I keep the busy social life also. So there's something new 
always happening because I I like I like variety, and um, so I I I keep a pretty busy schedule. I challenge myself with the writing now, mm-hmm. and um, and I, I want to get better at it. And I find that to be uh, a, a lot of fun. Although I don't want to be by myself, for, you know, eight hours a day. So I'll write you know, three hours a day, maybe four, and then I'll do business. I'll have social time uh, with people uh, the rest of the time. Hmm. Um, for our listeners, what piece of advice would you give them so that they can have uh, better people tools or even a life lesson uh, for them to, to have a better day today? Well, what they can do today is very simple. Smile. <laughs> The scientific research out in the last few years says that just smiling, in other words, just putting the corners of your mouth up all by itself causes endorphins to be released in your brain and you feel better. And I'll tell you, every time I wake up or when I go out and you know, get in my car to go somewhere, I smile and it's, it's easy, it's free, and it's very, very effective. We've had Alan... C. Fox. People Tools 54 Strategies for Building Relationships, Creating Joy, and Embracing Prosperity. And I tell you, I've been having all sorts of shot endorphins today because I've been smiling through this whole show. Thanks for being on again, Alan. All right. Terrific, Bob. My pleasure. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that show and do me a favor and tweet about it. Follow us on Facebook if you haven't done that already. We really appreciate it. See you next week.